the song we were just singing, um, All the Poor and Powerless, you know, and it, we, it ends with us singing about how holy God is. But you, you don't get to sing those lyrics and really mean them unless you recognize that you're poor and powerless and you're lost and lonely. And, uh, and you, then you recognize that, the, that God comes in and, uh, and his holiness changes you. And you get to live in his life and in his power. And that's ultimately the only subject in the Bible. Like sometimes we think of the Bible as like, is the Bible a series of stories? And is it a moral guidepost? Or is, is, it, is it a bunch of different stories that are sort of independent but also kind of point to Jesus if you squint hard enough or, you know, anything like that? It's, the Bible is about one subject. And it's about us being poor and powerless. And it's about God coming in. And in his grace... Making, giving us his power and, and us going, getting into his life. And that's what I want to talk about today. Um, since that's the only subject anyways, and I've established that. <laughs> um, so uh, my name is Ben. I, uh, I started coming to White Flag with my beautiful wife, Brianna, uh, in January. Uh, she and I have two kids, a four-year-old and a two-year-old. Um, four-year-old girl who's like a little angel and a two-year-old boy who is a little... <laughs> A little crazy, and uh, we uh, uh, we started coming to White Flag in January. We got saved like seven, eight years ago, and um, we kind of fell into like God's been so great to us, and and is and He's blessed us, and we've seen spiritual gifts and you know all kinds of stuff like fruit in our lives, and at the same time, we've just been very performance driven up until very recently, and uh, so part of it, Sean asked me that you know. When he was gone, so he didn't have to hear the story again, because I, I, I text Sean all the time. When I'm gone, you can share this with the church, and hopefully you stop talking to me about it. But um, uh, I've been through a lot lately, and um, it's weird. Like, my friends who aren't believers are like, what are you going through again? Like, um, I don't know if any of you struggle with depression or, or anything like that. That's, that's something that I, I struggle with. Not necessarily at, like, this clinical need medication level, but at a just... You know, I get into the, there was a guy who used to play, I don't know if you like baseball, there's a guy who used to play for the Yankees named Chuck Knobloch, who uh, he used to get a ground ball, and, and he played second base, and so he, he, like, his throw that he had to make was like, need a norm, like, it was like, he just had to throw it here, but he'd like, he'd feel the ground ball, and he'd look at Norm, and he'd like, freeze, and he'd like, throw it into the stands, like, he just would freak out, and, and people call that the yips, like, you, there's no explain, explainable reason, except it's psychological, and I just kind of have that a lot, of, in a lot of things, not a lot of areas, usually not like, areas that, you know, like, work and stuff, but it's like, for some reason with God and with righteousness and with performance, I've always had the yips, and I start to get really tied up in my own performance, and, um, and God just kind of recently freed me from that, and I, and I kind of want to share that with you guys. Um, I used to serve uh, in a sort of leadership position at our old church, uh, which is a bigger church. They're, they're going to be about 4,000 people that walk through those doors uh, this, this weekend, so it was a big place, and um, I, I led what was called a life group, which is similar to an anchor group here, a home Bible study. And, um, and it got pretty big. We'd, we'd have upwards of 25, 30 people coming to that, um, sort of at its peak. And then I oversaw about 10 other life groups as well and uh, like led those leaders. And um, I, uh, I'd, I'd been, I've done okay in business. I, I was out of college. I went and worked in finance and um, in my 20s, I worked my way up to being the second guy in command at the largest investment bank in Denver, and um, I'd, I'd done well. 
and uh, and yet I still have the yips, you know, and um, and it's because I I was I'm so self-focused. If I if I get caught up in my flesh, I'm looking at myself internally, and I'm constantly checking the scoreboard. I don't know if any of you guys have ever struggled with that. And I started to realize a few things about my Christianity, uh, and 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 I think I hope that none of you are going through this, but if you are, um, I think what I'm going to share is going to be helpful. Um, I didn't really understand what role the cross played in my day-to-day life. Like, you hear all this stuff about the gospel, and we sing these worship songs. Like, the, the lyrics of the worship songs that we're singing with our hands raised would lead, lead one to believe that for the entire week, we're sort of just soaking in that all the time because we show up and we sort, we're so readily, we so readily believe this stuff that we sing it. Like, what else do you walk around singing? Like, you get in a group of people and you sing about what? Like, there's nothing else that you sing about, right? And, um, and... I, I knew that the gospel saved me from hell, and I knew that it's suppo- I'm somehow supposed to get better and more, be more righteous, but um, I, I just noticed, like, if I was being honest with myself, there's very little love inside me for other people. I was so focused on my own performance and so often caught up in the fact that, you know, I'm supposed to be, I'm reading this stuff about Paul. You know, Paul's going around working miracles and stuff like that, and me, I'm like, well, God delivered me from this one thing a few years ago, and I lie a little bit less, and still kind of a jerk to this guy, but I guess I would have been a bigger jerk before I got saved. Um, but there's no, like, power, you know, and um, yeah, I'm good at teaching, I'm good at, I'm okay at teaching, I'm good at telling people about Christ and stuff, but there's not, there's not a lot of power here. I'm just sort of incrementally different than maybe some of my counterparts in the world. And, and um, then I read in Luke 7:47 where, where Jesus, so uh, Mary Magdalene, presumably, is... Uh, she's weeping and, and she's washing Jesus' feet with her tears and an alabaster perfume bottle that she broke. And um, Jesus is telling the Pharisees who were criticizing her, he says, Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And I started to ask God, um, knowing that I was devoid of love, um, like she's weeping and pouring out everything she has on Jesus' feet. And uh, and I'm like I don't I'm, that's not me I don't, I'm not doing that I don't have that I don't know that I, my life circumstances would even put me there um, so but it, he, Jesus laid out a concept He says he he who's forgiven much loved much and um, so I asked God to make me love much and show me how forgiven I am which I don't know that that is the wisest prayer if you're me and you have an overactive conscience but um, God's reply was. Um, let me show you first how many your sins are and how deep into your heart they go and how when you start peeling back the onion of your life, you're just going to find sin and sin and sin. And, um, and then I'm going to show you how forgiven you are. And uh, I, I be- firmly believe, actually, this is going to sound crazy maybe to some of you, but I believe that he allowed, as Paul, to use Paul's parlance, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. I, I believe that they're... There's been a, this is going to sound crazy, there's been a demon following me around, telling me about every little sin, t- to, the, to the slightest, most impure motive. Um, and, uh, and if God would have stopped there, I probably would have, it would have killed me. And uh, that, that's where the depression came in and, and stuff. And uh, he showed me something else, though, uh, and I'm going to show it to you today. Um, so... Uh, to borrow from Sean, I was trying to come up with a funny sermon title, and I couldn't come up with anything other than self-sufficiency, self Um Or for you Star Wars geeks, a new hope. Um, because there is a new hope. 
there's a new hope. There's, there's something other than your performance to hope in. Um, and like I said, the Bible is exclusively about one subject. The Bible is about one subject. When you read the Bible, the Old Testament, everywhere, it's about you lack something and God has something and he will freely give it to you. But there's some conditions to his freely giving it to you. So, first, before I reveal that, let's go into what you lack. Some of you might not like this part. <laughs> Leviticus 19. I'm going to like start hammering you guys with Bible verses, and I'll read them to you. So if, if you start getting behind on turning pages, just write down the verse if you want, or I'll send you my notes later. Just come up to me later. Um, Leviticus 19.2. Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Okay? So be holy. How many of you, how many of you are holy? Like, just on your own, you're just holy. You wake up, you check the mirror, you don't even have to turn on the light in the morning because <laughs> there's a glow about you. <laughs> Therefore, you shall be perfect. Therefore, Jesus, Ma- Matthew, so here's a good one. Some of these are going to come from the New Testament. So don't be caught into the trap of thinking that just because, like New Testament, Old Testament, Old Testament's law, New Testament's grace, that's not the way it works. Matthew 5.48, Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Those are Jesus' words. So anyone who tries to goad you into saying, you know, hey, if Jesus said it, then that's just what I'm going to listen to. Like, there's some things that Jesus said, if, if you're going to just try to take that and in your own strength live up to it, like be perfect, good luck. Um, therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. So how many of you are perfect? He's walking out, so it's the... You know. <laughs> um, uh, Matthew twenty two thirty seven and 39. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So whenever somebody says to you, well, first of all, how many of you, how many of you love God? Yeah, right? Amen. Amen. That's what Christianity is supposed to be all about, right? We're supposed to love God. How many of you love God as much as God deserves to be loved? Do you, you really love God? Right? I, that's, that's actually pretty tough to think about. Do you really love God? So, um, and then the second is love it. Like it, you should love your neighbor as yourself. So, I, if you, any of you are anything like me, there's been many, there, there's a lot of examples that if you were trying to boldly walk into the throne room of God on the basis of how well you've loved your neighbor as yourself, you know, you might find that the screen door will hit, hit your rear end on the way out. Um, the, uh, <laughs> so, we, we, be holy, be perfect, be loving, right? Um, and, and anybody who tries to tell you, well, forget about all the laws in Christianity. It's just about love. I, you just need to love God. Well, you just, you, do you love God as much as he deserves? No. Okay, well, you missed that one then. So then, um, so those are, those are sort of commands. So then what other things do we lack? Proverbs 4, 5. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. It's like an, another baseball example. Just three fastballs right by you. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Like, get, go, guys, go get wisdom. Go get understanding. And do not turn away from the words of my mouth. How many of, you, how many of us have struggled with wisdom, not knowing what to do, have not understood the person who we're having conflict with? Or, um, and and, and how, how many, how, what percentage of our Christian lives, forget before that, have we lived turned away from the words of his mouth? A lot, right? Okay, 1 Peter 3.7, this is, this is for some of the husbands in the room. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them, wives, 
dwell with your wives with understanding, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Dwell with your wives in understanding. Understand your wives. Like, that's like, like 25% probably of like every stand-up comedian's material is how they, how, uh, they don't understand women or, you know, and stuff like that. Like, under, it's not like something that you just, okay, I'm going to understand now. Right? So three, three things it says to be. Be holy, be perfect, be loving. Two things it says to get. Wisdom and understanding. And, uh, you know, don't be fooled again into thinking that regardless of which testament it's in, it's, it's you know, one's grace and one's law because Jesus was real good at heightening the standard of the law. Um, Matthew 5, 27 28, You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery to her in her heart. Like, was Jesus saying that? Was Jesus saying that to uh, get us to change the way we think? Or was he saying that to show just how high the standard of God's law is and just how far the gap is between us and him? Because he was speaking to Pharisees who were saying, well, pff, I've never committed adultery. Like, you always hear this one, like, when you talk to people, like, they're, they're like, I'm not Hitler. <laughs> like, you didn't kill six million people. Congratulations, you know, like, that's, if that's the standard, um, then, you know, that's like, that was easy. But if it's, if it's, wow, if you ever treated or thought about anyone in such a way as to say, that person doesn't deserve my love, even for a moment, it's as good as murdering them in, their, in your heart, then you start to realize how, stan- how high the standard is, and that's what Jesus was doing here. And so it's almost like you lack something, but it's not, it's not that you suck that bad. It's that God, that holiness is for real, and his standard is very, very high. And as cr- the closer we get to God, the closer we get to that standard. And if, if we appro- try to approach the God on the our God on the basis of our ability to imitate him and live up to his standard from our own resources, we're going to run into what I ran into, which is why am I not having victory in these areas? Why does my life just kind of feel like, like I, I'm doing all kinds of ministry stuff. I look successful. People think I'm like good at ministry and they think I'm, but inside I'm getting crushed. So, now what? Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, verse 15. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. Wait a second. I skipped a page. Don't turn, don't turn there yet, guys. I skipped. forgot I printed front and back. I was like, why are we here? This is going fast. Um, all right. Um, Matthew 12. Let's turn to Matthew 12. Um, so the Bible has two, two, there's two examples of people. There's two types of people in the Bible. There's people who lack stuff and try to get stuff. And there's people who lack stuff and go to God to get stuff. Um, and here's what happens. There's, this, there's, a, there's a passage that sometimes is kind of mysterious to people, but... I don't think it's all that mysterious. Uh, Matthew 12, 43 through 45. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through, the, through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, put and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter 
and dwell there, and the last state of the man is worse than the first, so it shall be with this wicked generation. He's talking to the Pharisees again. And he's, what he's referencing is um, that the Pharisees, you know, the, it, to use the Sermon on the Mount example, were like, hey, I don't commit adultery. I got rid of that little demon. But thinking that they were living up to God's law, it opened them up because they don't have... God's, God says, they, they, they walked into the throne room, throne room like this. Poof, you know, like those doors back there and the, the doors like slammed against the side and they're like, hey, never committed adultery, God. You know, and, and, and God opposes the proud so that they don't get his Holy Spirit inside of them when that's their attitude and their posture, right? So that leaves them wide open for whatever else, whatever else any other spirit might want to do, right? And that's what, this, that's what Jesus is talking about here. That's why, like, that, that's why the religious, that's why Jesus was so harsh toward the Pharisees, right? And if you're really trying to seek him, and that is where you're at, like me, he's going to crush you for your own good. And I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you how that looks. Um, the flip side of that is, is man lacks things and then goes to God and God gives it to him. So, um, you know, what kind of stuff? So, if, um, you're facing a dilemma at work. You know, what is required of me? Well, what's required of you is to handle it perfectly. That's what's required. required. Um, I don't understand my wife. She's crazy. Uh, that, not, not me, not my wife. But like somebody, <laughs> I don't understand my wife. She's crazy. Um, <laughs> what should I do? What, what should I do? Well, the answer is understand her forever. That's the answer, right? Um, I hate this guy at the DMV that I'm dealing with. That was me last week. I said the DMV is the worst. Um, how should I deal with him? Love him. I'm struggling with pornography. What do I do? Stop. That's the requirement. That's what the, that's what the Bible says to do, right? Right? Um, and here's the deal. That, that is the law. And that is good. The law is good. That's, you, you can, like, when we read the Ten Commandments, it's not like we read it and we're like, honor your mother and father. Like, what is this, the 80s? You know, like, no, like, we, we, nobody reads that and disputes it. Um, the, the, the difficulty, the, the, the hard part is living up to it, um, which you can't. So let's turn to Hebrews chapter 7 real quick. Hebrews 7. Here's where this starts, starts to get good. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. The law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. The law made nothing perfect. If I was one of those like cheesy megachurch pastors, I'd say, look to your neighbor and say, the law made nothing perfect. The law made nothing perfect. Remember that. That's really, 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 really important. Because by law, we're saying just the existence of the standard and the action of trying to apply the standard will not make you perfect. It won't work. <clears throat> the Bible gives us a better hope. What is the better hope? God made some promises. Jeremiah 31. 
turn to Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, which he's talking about the law. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my, my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. That's a really good promise. I will, he's going to write his law on your mind and on your heart. So it's almost like he's saying, I'm going to take control here. Okay? Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36. He's going to get more explicit about what this... I'm, I'm, it's, going to come on, it's going to be on me now. This is me being Jesus. I'm pretending I'm Jesus saying that. Ezekiel 36. 26 through 27. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. You guys with me? I will cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. So this is a promise where God is saying, I'm going to erase the old stuff where I'm going to lay out a standard and tell you to live up to it, and I'll say, do this and live. Instead, I'm going to rip out your heart, put in a new heart, I'm going to write the law on it, and I'm going to write it on the inside of your eyelids too. Right? I'm going to write it on your minds. And then I'm going to cause you to walk in them. I'm going to cause you to walk in these, new, in these statutes. I'm going to cause you to. It sounds a lot like me, and we're going to go further into this, so I'm going to make a claim right now, but it sounds a lot like me, to, to me, like Jesus is saying, your righteousness is now my problem. I'm going to take it upon myself that you live up to the law. And I know that some of you are probably asking some questions in your mind right now if you're intellectually honest. Like, okay, so what does it mean that I, I believe the gospel? I'm a, I'm a believer, but I'm not, I'm still struggling in this area over here. Did he not write that law on my heart, Mr guy that I don't know who just like showed up here six months ago and is now teaching. How do I know these verses are for me? Maybe it's just for the Jews, right? Because he's talking to Israel here. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10 real quick. Now we turn to Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, verse 15. The Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord, I will put their law, my laws in their hearts and, their, and in their minds I will write them. And then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, those, those sins he's talking about, there's no longer an offering for sin. Because they've been forgiven. They're, he doesn't even remember them. Right? So there's no longer an offering. So that also goes to something. That those of us who might be prone to sort of go back 
to answer the altar calls, whether they're literal at church or constantly be going back to the altar. There, there's no more. There was one sacrifice for your sins, and he wrote his law on your heart, and he's going to cause you to walk in him. So it may, may, it may not be a continual process of I sin, I mess up, I go back to the altar, I get washed in the blood again, and then I go back out there, then I sin again, then I mess up, and then I go back, and then I get... It may not, that may not be the process. It doesn't sound like it's consistent with this. So we'll get, we'll get practical in a second. I know I'm getting all excited and stuff. We'll get practical, though. That's verse 18 that I just read. Verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiness by your resume. No. The holiest, you enter the holiest. Like the holy of holies we're talking about. You know, Sean's going through Exodus. Like the holy of holies. Like if you go in there and you like, you know... You, my mom used to be like a really a neat person, and so we had like these rooms in our house. Like as kids, we weren't allowed to go in, you know. Like, and I'd like go in there and like spill Kool Aid on like the, the carpet, you know, and stuff. And like, you know, I'd have to like slaughter a calf. And, and no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> like the holy of holies, you touch the wrong thing and you just drop dead. There's you don't even have to worry about your the hearing the footsteps of your mom coming down the hall to like slap you in the. You know, there's. Um, <laughs> Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest of holies, the holiest, by the blood of Jesus. Okay. So there's something. That, like, guys, there's, there's, like, the blood of Jesus. Like, if, if there's nothing else you walk out of, you should only be thinking of one thing when you walk out of here. I mean, you're going to think about other stuff, which is good, because the blood of Jesus allows you to do that, and God's going to make you righteous. So it's all good. Uh, that's kind of the spoiler alert here. But the blood of Jesus... Is the, is the swing thought, is the, thing, is the one thing that we need to be thinking about, right? Because that's how we enter into God's presence. What other most important thing is there out there? Like, we're worried about stuff in our lives. I understand that. We have things to manage and stuff. But you're going to die someday, and then you're going to go, and you're going to like, how are you going to get in? Like, the blood of Jesus. And it's very significant. By, entered by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which he consecrated us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That is such a freeing verse. Because you had, like the, the, the example I just gave where you, you heard that promise and you're like, okay, the law is supposed to be written on my heart. Why am I messed up? You're, the blood of Jesus has washed away your sin believer. And your struggle with sin right now is only an opportunity to experience the victory of the washing away of your sin by the blood of Jesus Christ. And it is not a heart issue. You do not have heart issues, guys. God wrote the law into your heart. You don't have heart issues. I hate it when Christians say that. Oh, I've got a heart issue. I can't stop lying. Oh, I've got a heart issue. I can't stop slandering. Oh, I've got a heart issue. I can't stop lusting. Oh, I've got a heart issue. I can't stop pornography. Oh, I've got a heart issue. Like, I, I, I'm worried about money. Oh, I've got a heart issue. Like, you don't have a heart issue. You don't have a heart issue. What is the issue? What is the issue? Unbelief is the issue. Unbelief is the issue. So when people come to you and say, hey, this grace thing that you're talking about, I hate Especially me, because I was Mr. Performance. Hey, I, I remember you used to be really good at being a Christian, and now you kind of like, now you seem like you don't care as much about that stuff, and I'm really worried about you and really concerned. And um, this grace teaching and stuff that you're kind of all wrapped up in, I'm kind of concerned about that. Well, that, my, honest, my honest answer to you is, you know what I'm concerned about? 
I'm concerned you don't believe in the sufficiency of the blood of Jesus Christ. There's no more precious thing. This is Jesus. This is, either he was the son of God, and that was his blood, and it got spilled, and it's covering you, or it's not. Or he was a liar and a crazy guy, and then you're, gonna like, you're talking about being covered in the blood of an invisible crazy guy. Right? That's what Paul said. Like, if the resurrection didn't happen, then we're like screwed. But if it did happen, and, and if it did happen, right, we're going to talk about that. Let's, let's keep going. The sufficiency of the blood of Jesus is our only hope. That's the, be- that's the better hope. If you are trying to enter into the presence of God on the basis of being okay, I tithe. God, I tithe. Hey, God, you ever, you ever seen a tithe before? 10%? <clears throat> You're the same as Cain. You ever wonder like, what the whole thing with Cain and Abel is? Like, we always like, explain it like we all understand it. If, if you don't understand this concept, then you don't understand Cain and Abel. Because Cain toiled away. He was a farmer. He toiled away, grew some plants, and he showed up to God, and he's like, Hey, God, you like apples? Tosses them to God. They like them apples. Abel, on the other hand, walks up to a, to a fatted calf and, and trusts in the blood of the calf. He didn't grow the calf. It ate grass, and it, it got born, and then it ate grass, and then he slit its throat, and its blood went everywhere. And that's what he trusted in. And that's the difference between Cain and Abel. So are we going to be like Cain and go and be like, hey, God, huh. you ever seen a guy sacrif- like give up cable? Like that kind of thinking, it's now in this perspective, in this light, it's ridiculous comparing giving up cable to the blood of Jesus Christ. When we walk into the throne, it says to walk in boldly, no matter who you are, Hitler, you could be Hitler. You could walk into the bold, boldly into the throne room and be Hitler. And if you're covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, the Father will see you and say, that blood means everything to me. What do you ask? So if we walk in on any other basis... We're not resting in Jesus. That's what that means when people say rest in Jesus. The, the hymns, I can't think of the melody right now, but it's like something, something, rest in Jesus, right? It's, there's, let's, let's fast forward to Hebrews 10.29. We just read through 22. Let's go to 29. Because now this is what, to me, I, I'm saying like that's what this means because I had so many epiphanies over the past six months where, I'm, where God is like, like, God's teaching me these principles about his grace the sufficiency of his blood, and I'm going, oh, that's what that verse means. That's what that passage means. That's why that's in the Bible. Hebrews 10.29. It's about one subject. Hebrews 10.29. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace? In light of the verse we just read, entering the holiest of holies by the blood of Jesus, if we try to enter in, in any, on any other basis, we are trampling the Son of God underfoot and counting the blood of the covenant by which you are sanctified, which we'll get into the meaning of that in a second, a common thing, and insulted the spirit of grace. How much worse punishment is due to you? Like, that's worse than Hitler. Because you're, you're, who's more valuable, every human being on earth or Jesus Christ to God? Jesus Christ is more valuable. I'm sorry, it's offensive, but it is, it's the truth. So the blood of the covenant, we're saying the blood that he spilled for everyone, doesn't matter, Jesus, because I gave up cable. I'm, I'm using a ridiculous example, but that's the general mindset, right? I haven't committed adultery, fear the Pharisees in that example. Whatever it is, 
the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. Let that phrase soak in for a second. The blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. He being the one who's counting, the, who's trampling the Son of God underfoot. He, us. The blood of the covenant by which you were sanctified. Notice the language. It doesn't say saved. It doesn't say justified. It says sanctified. So you're sanctified. Like you are sanctified by the blood of the covenant. The law being written on your heart. You're living up to the standards of the law. It's through the blood of Jesus. It's not your performance. It's not, hey, you got saved by the blood of Jesus. You're justified now. Now here's 10 ways to live a God-blessed marriage. And here's five ways to honor the Lord at your work. And here's 10 more ways to love your neighbor. And here's five more ways to avoid road rage. And here's 10 steps to get out of alcohol. Here's five steps to get rid of pornography. Here's, it's not that. Because those things also get washed away by the blood of Jesus in reality. You are sanctified by that. You want to know how long it takes to get sanctified? Rever- reverse Thanos. I don't know if any of you guys saw that movie. <laughs> That's how long it takes to get san- sanctified. The second, right now, if you're sitting right there, you believe in the, in the sufficiency of the blood of Jesus Christ to deliver you from whatever you are bound to, right now, you are sanctified Right now, you are delivered. Right now. So, hey, I'm struggling with pornography. Should I go to a 10-week pornography class? Maybe. I don't really care. It doesn't matter because right now, you, right now, enter the Holy of Holies by the blood of Jesus Christ. You're covered in the blood of the Son. Jesus said, if you abide in me, you will ask whatever you want and I will give it to you. Walk in, say, I'm covered in your blood. I'm not here for, on any other basis. And I want you... And and no matter what happens, I believe you, what you say. I'm sanctified. I believe you. Thank you that you have delivered me from this sin, from slandering people, from lying, from gluttony. And and no matter what, I believe you that you have delivered me, God. Thank you. I guarantee you, if that becomes a prayer of your heart and you start to believe in the blood of Jesus, you're going to just like wake up and it'll be gone. Because if you could quit it, you would quit it. If you could stop, you'd stop. You would have stopped years ago. I used to always think, like, for the sins that I struggle with, if I, if I could just, you know, one button and be done, I would. Little did I know I had the button the whole time in my pocket. <clears throat> let's turn to, uh, let's, let's go into the blood of Jesus a little bit more. Leviticus chapter 17. You guys all right with this? This is the gospel. This is, this is how the gospel works in your life. Leviticus 17. I know a lot of you already know this stuff. I'm not acting like I just came in here with like something new. But at the same time, it is good news. Right? Leviticus 17, verse 10. And whatever man of the house of Israel, this is good, whatever man of the house of Israel or the strangers who dwell among you eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood. Why is Ben giving us this verse? Who eats blood. And will cut him off from among his people, for the life of the flesh is the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. So don't eat blood. That's the command. Leviticus 17. Turn with me to John chapter 6. John 6, verse 51. This is Jesus speaking. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. 
If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled amongst themselves, saying, How can this, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Like, jerky, that's how. Um, Jesus jerky, just kidding. Then Jesus said to them, Hopefully that's not too offensive for some of you. I'm sorry if it is. You guys thought pork was, was bad. Um, <clears throat> and Jesus said to him, Most surely I say to you, unless you eat, of, eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. And then you fast forward to verse 66. How did everybody respond? Were they all like, yeah, let's drink Jesus' blood? No, this is, these are the people who, Leviticus 17, they, they, generation after generation after generation, don't drink blood. And they're like, okay, don't drink blood. That's the command. That must be what makes God happy. Whatever. Whatever floats your boat, God. Verse 66. From that time, many of, the, of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. It just offends people. It's just, it's walked away. God doesn't want you to drink any blood other than his. Because <clears throat> the blood is the life. He doesn't want you searching for any life other than his. He doesn't want you consuming any other life other than his. Self-sufficiency, sufficiency, right? He doesn't want you to, your own life. He doesn't want you drinking your own blood. He doesn't want you say, reading some book about some guy who was really successful and got over and had this dramatic testimony and went through these 10 steps and got free of alcohol, so this is how you're going to do it. Don't drink his blood. That's what it's saying, right? So why do people leave? Because that's, that's it's like crazy speak. It's like, don't listen to the wisdom of everyone else in the world. Listen to me and get, listen to me so carefully that this is something, like eating and drinking, like Luke 22.20, 20, which is when Jesus gives the... Um, the guidelines for the communion, right? He says, this is the blood of the new covenant. This is it. Here it is in a cup. Drink it. And do this in remembrance of me every time you eat and drink. We eat and drink to live, right? Our bodies need us to constantly be eating and drinking to live. That's why Jesus is, that's the purpose of this language here. Like, forget all like the, you know, whether you're Catholic and you believe like it's actually the blood and the bread or whether you're, that's fine, whatever. Believe whatever you want in that regard. What matters is that you are not on Sunday or in church service eating a cracker and a cup of grape juice or wine. What matters is that on a daily basis, constantly, like eating and drinking, you are, you are consuming the blood of Jesus. That's what matters, right? So when we're talking about like how we got into this, you, the, what is the cure for what ails us? Why, do we keep, why are we so hampered? It's because our eyes are on this other stuff. We're drinking We're eating food. We're eating other food. And we're trying to be sustained by the other food, by our own righteousness. The food that we need to be eating and drinking is Jesus constantly. That's what we live on, right? So we need to be boldly going into the throne room of grace. And that's how we get sanctified, right? It's the blood of the covenant that not only justifies us, but sanctifies us. It gives you the power to live the way that you want to live. You want to live out. You want to please God. It gives you that power, right? How do I do it? Well, you enter in by faith. Okay, but I, don't, I just don't believe this. Like, I, I believe it. I'm writing it in my notes, and I'm going to put it in my notes, and I'm going to turn the page, and I'm going to write the next sermon's notes in there. 
and I'm going to write, maybe write some other stuff, and I'm going to have a real tough time applying this on Tuesday. Monday might be good. I might remember this for 24 hours, but 48 hours down the road, I might not remember this. I'm talking about me. What do I do? I, well, I just need to keep going into the throne room of grace. How do I go into the throne room of grace? I don't like close my eyes and like start walking around my house like, you know, like I don't, the throne room of grace is instantaneous. And how much faith do you need? How much faith do you need? A mustard seed. Any, any. In sp- it, that means in spite of yourself, because you have more than a mustard seed of a lot of other stuff. So in spite of yourself, you rich man, all of you, you Americans, you camels going through the eye of a needle, you're going, to go through, you're going to be a camel going through the eye of a needle over and over and over again this week because you're going to know that all you need is a mustard seed. And you're going to go in and you're going to say, hey, Jesus, I'm covered in your blood. Part of me doesn't really believe this. Part of me doesn't know what Ben was talking about. Part of it, he just did so many verses. Here's my mustard seed. I trust you to get me through this. I love you. Thank you. Amen. Jesus is going to say, the Father is going to see you covered in the blood of his Son, and you're going to be abiding in Jesus, and he's going to say, that's all I ask of you. Let me prove that to you. Romans 3.19. I promise I'm wrapping this up. I'm going fast, as fast as I can. Romans 3.19. Now we know whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped. (laughs) That's like really strong language. Oh, it's... Thanks, guys. And, and all the world may become guilty before God. So if you're, if, if you're hoping you're going to just walk in because you've done a pretty good job of being righteous, you're going to walk in and God's going to say, shut up. That's what it says. Every mouth may, may be stopped and all the world may become guilty. Verse 20. This is great. This is, like, this is your key to freedom. This is your key to surrender, giving up, dying to yourself. This is, Therefore... By the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. So when we're, when we're ministering to other people, when we're ministering to ourselves, you, Paul says the law is good if somebody uses it lawfully. If you're using the law to say, this is how high the standard is, you suck, give up, give up. Trust in the blood of Jesus to get you over that, over that wall. Because no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law makes us aware of our sin, Right? But by the deeds of it, no one will be justified. You will not be justified by, you won't be, the deeds of the law, you won't be justified by doing the law. Just let that sink in. Stop trying. Stop trying. Stop trying to do the deeds of the law. The emphasis is on the wrong syllable if you're doing that. More proof. Isaiah 64, 6. But we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. We, are, we all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Romans 10.4 For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. I want to be righteous. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to anyone who believes. So the law... Christ was the end of the law being the way to be righteous for everyone who believes. So if you're a believer, stop. Stop. Stop telling people to live up to the law. Stop telling yourself to live up to the law. Understand now. Now, the one thing that you should take away is the ability this week to identify what the law is. Right? Rightly dividing the word of God. That's what Paul was talking about with Timothy. Rightly dividing the word of God. Recognize the law. Recognize grace. Grace is God's promises 
to justify you and sanctify you. As a believer, those promises are for you. That's what you need to recognize and, and take in. and put on. That, that's the burden that Jesus says to take on. It's easy and light. The, the burden that you need to lay down on his feet is the law, right? The commands, the things that I should do to be better. I should lose weight because I should eat less. I should, I should, I should, they should, he should, I should. No. The promises of God that are given to us by the sufficient blood of Jesus Christ. Okay, John 6, 28 and 29. You guys still doing okay? I've got like just a handful of more, more verses. John 6, 28 and 29. I'm just, gonna, I'm just, gonna, I'm just trying to drive this home because this is, this, is, this, is, this is great here. <clears throat> then they said to him, what shall we do that may, we may work the works of God? What should you do that you may work the works of God? That's a great question, right? Verse 29. Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he sent. That's the work. That's all you're being asked to do. Hebrews chapter 4. Here's a little warning associated with that. Verse 1. And then we're going to jump to 9, 10, and 11. Verse 1 is, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. That is not entering his rest. That's not say let, the fear that you fail to do a bunch of stuff. It's you should fear. You should fear not resting. You should fear being Cain. That's what it's saying. Fear being Cain. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God, for he who has entered his rest. Verse ten. Verse ten. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. That's what the Sabbath is there for. It's a picture of ceasing from your works. It's not about not pressing an elevator button. It's about ceasing from your works. Let us therefore be diligent to enter his rest. If you're going to work hard to do anything, it should be, you should be maniacal about doing nothing. You should be maniacal, and I don't mean that in a lazy way. I mean that maniacal about showering in the blood of Jesus. That's what you should be maniacal about. That's the rest. Trading your burden for his burden, which are just those promises washed in the blood of Christ, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Unbelief is the disobedience that that's referencing, and the Hebrews did not enter into the promised land in the example in Hebrews chapter 4 because they didn't believe in the sufficiency of the blood of Christ. That's what it's saying. Now, 2 Corinthians 5.21. This is for, I'm putting this in here because this is for someone who's, saying, who's thinking right now, you don't know what I've done. Because there's that thought. Well, what about this sin in my life? Because what if all that was available to me and then I didn't quite get it in time and then I sinned really bad after I became a believer? Or I, or I sinned before, really bad before I became a believer and it just hampered me. What if I did something really, really bad? I'm not going to tell you, but I've done really bad stuff. I have. So this is maybe just for me. <laughs> but verse 21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that, he, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Okay? 1 Peter 2.24, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. So he became 
the stuff that you did that you're thinking about, he became that. All that stuff, that you, maybe you did it yesterday, maybe you did it this morning, that went into his body. And then his body died. The old man that did those things is dead. Because it went into Jesus' body and then it died. So this is what it gets you, okay? I'm going to close here. I'm going to pr- try to persuade you guys to rest in this and I'm going to give you a promise to believe and you need to just repeat this. Um, I'm not going to make you repeat the verse because it's kind of long, but Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. This is the language that is often used in men's retreats to tell us to be better to our wives, to put a law on us to be better to our wives. Well, here's how you're going to be better, better to your wife. It's not by taking this and saying, oh, I'm going to go do it. <clears throat> it's for all of us because we are the, bli- bl- the bride of Christ. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ. Now let's focus on Christ for a second. I'm not saying it's not important to love your wives, but just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that he should be holy and without blemish. You, guys, I'm looking here. I I believe the gospel for you, even if you don't believe this. If you are believers in this room, you are a glorious church. You don't have a spot or a wrinkle on you or any such thing. There's not, you guys are perfect. And you are holy and without blemish. And any moment, and this will probably happen. You're going to take your eyes off the Lord at some point and you're going to stumble. And I'm not necessarily talking about willful sin when I bring this up. You're going to stumble, though. Some guy's going to cut you off, and you're going to like swear at him or something. Right? Or you're going to get really frustrated at your kids if you're anything like me, because they just won't freaking listen to you. <laughs> and you're going to say, Raka, in your heart. <laughs> you're grounded. Um, and then you're going to realize, you're going to thank God. Not because you have a heart issue, because you don't have a heart issue. He changed your heart. He gave you a new heart. What, do you, what is he suck at this? He doesn't. He, he, he did, he's not going to fail at doing this, right? You are, you're going to say, God, thank you that you made me holy and without blemish. And that stuff that I did in the past maybe bother, would have bothered me. Maybe it wouldn't have, but I wouldn't have known what to do with it. But here's what I know to, what to do with it. I just know to believe your promises that I'm sanctified, righteous, holy, pure, and above reproach. That's Colossians 1, 21 through 23. Go, that's homework. Go read that. So you're holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. So, oh, here, actually, let's turn real quick. Let's close there. Let's turn to Colossians 1. Let's turn there. One twenty-one through 23. And you were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. This is the past tense. So if, this, if, I'm, if I still haven't persuaded you that your righteous, holy, pure, and above reproach, this is in past tense. He is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith. So it's not if indeed indeed you continue doing good stuff. It's if indeed you continue in the faith. Grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you are heard. Don't move away from the hope of the gospel. Don't let people, don't let some teacher online, don't let anything, don't let your own heart, the soil in your heart, don't let that dry out the seed. Let it take root and bear fruit. That's what Jesus is getting at here. Believe the gospel. Believe it. If you continue in the faith, 
you're going you're gonna to just walk in that because it's you. That is you. The new you, the old man is dead. The new you is, has been presented holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. You're above reproach. No one can even reproach you. Seriously, no one can even reproach you. You're not supposed to take that in pride. You're supposed to take that in the humility of, wow, I'm covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. His blood is so sufficient. It has washed me so clean that whatever I've done in the past, whatever faults I think I have, whatever heart issues I think I have, have been washed away. It is as far as the east is from the west. He will remember them no more. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. And now you can give that person who's saying that to you, you'd be like, actually, but brother, let me tell you something real quick. Let me tell you something about yourself. You are righteous, pure, and holy, and above reproach. If indeed you're not moved away from the gospel. So, amen? All right, let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you've made us a glorious church. Thank you that your blood is sufficient. We put our hope in no other thing, and we trust you. And if somebody has just listened to this, not that people are out searching to hear my one sermon, but if, if, uh, if anyone hears this and is confused, Lord, and worries that, I'm, that this message is going to lead people into licentiousness, Work in their hearts and, and help them to trust you because your blood is sufficient. It will work. It will work. You will, you will not fail. All we need to do is tell people to just trust in the blood of Jesus. We don't need to persuade them of anything else because the second somebody places their trust in the blood of Jesus, everything else is over. The old man dies. What is old has passed away. Their sins are washed away as far as the east is from the west and they will be made righteous and you will not fail. And all we need to do is po- point people to the blood of Jesus. Wash us afresh in that today. Help us to stay, to abide in you because you say if we abide in you, we thank you, Lord. You are sufficient. In Jesus' name, amen.